This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Eastern European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Eva Glisic, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Katja Praznik about her new book, Artwork, Invisible Labor and the Legacy of Yugoslav Socialism. Katja is Associate Professor at the University at Buffalo, and her research focuses on labor issues in the arts during the demise of the welfare state regimes, and has, uh, her work has been published in various peer-reviewed journals. Uh, she's the author of The Paradox of Unpaid Artistic Labor, Autonomy of Art, the Avant-Garde, and Cultural Policy in the Transition to Post-Socialism, and Artwork, Invisible Labor, and the Legacy of Yugoslav Socialism. Katja, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, um, uh, Eva, for this invitation and uh, for the opportunity to talk about my book. Fantastic. And Katya, I wonder if you could uh, perhaps begin by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, so um, um, it's funny. I feel like I'm a a double person, a double agent, (laughs) uh, because I work in academia uh, now since I moved to to the U.S. in 2012 uh, because I started to work in academia. But before that, I used to work in, uh, in, on the art scene, in, mostly in Ljubljana, but also in other, um, in the, uh, let's say, the, the territory that once was uh, socialist Yugoslavia. Uh, and so um, I have this, uh, I have, so I once stood in, in, the, in, the, in the field that I now research theoretically, uh, and it also uh, informs how I do my work and how I do my research and why I do the research that I do. Um, so yeah, I'm a kind of a person living on two continents uh, and also in two different worlds, academic and art world. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and uh, today we're going to talk about your book, Artwork, um, Invisible Labor and the Legacy, Legacy of Yugoslav Socialism. This is a, a kind of fantastic insight into the concept of art as labor. Um, and I'm very interesting, uh, interested to hear how you became kind of close to this topic, um, uh, topic of labor of art and art workers. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, this uh, me being the double agent or whatever, uh, the, the joke, um, if it's funny, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, uh, the reason why I'm, in, or why I'm still interested in, in labor in the arts is because of my experiences uh, on the art scene uh, that I had before I started to work in academia. Uh, because I used to work a lot with, uh, with artists, mostly uh, these were performing artists, 
uh, contemporary dance, theater, but I also encountered many other um, artists of different genres, disciplines, and so on and so on. And um, as um, I began my, let's say, career on the art scene um, as uh, as an art critic, I started to, I was writing art reviews of different performances and shows, but I also collaborated on, on in the art production. Uh, so I saw, again, both sides, right? The, the outcome, perhaps the performance or an exhibition or a concert, but then I would also, when I would work with them, mostly as a dramaturg, I would also experience the whole production process and I would, you know, from everything, from the budget uh, with which a performance was made uh, and the whole thing. And so the more I saw this, and because I was working mostly on the independent art scene, um, um, the more it became apparent that there's a huge problem of a working conditions and of course of payment and this is how I became interested in more let's say systemic structural issues that define contemporary art production and I also then moved from working as an art critic uh, as a writer, as an editor uh, and I started to work with an organization which really was dedicated to advocate for improvement of working conditions of artists and small independent art organizations and so this is how I got to this topic and the more I worked with it the more I noticed this paradoxical situation um, uh, of art and you know the problem of payment uh, or underpayment and so on. Yeah very interesting so you have a very comprehensive um, view of the art scene and in its totality I guess let's say that I do have an experience because I did, like you say, I did work in the yeah. scene. So I'm not just, I'm, I didn't just talk to artists, but I actually worked with them and I was part of the scene. Uh, I mean, you know, academics are also part of an art scene or as art historians and so on. But um, I did really have the opportunity to see it up close and personal of how these processes look like. Yeah, very interesting. Now, um, you note in your introduction that Socialist Yugoslavia provides um, a particularly good case study for examining artistic labor and what you term the paradox of art. So I wonder if you can explain a bit what is this paradox of art and um, why is Yugoslavia a productive framework for studying this concept? Yeah, so um, as I already kind of hinted towards this, the, the paradox of art, I would say, is um, in short, the unrecognized labor in the arts or the condition of Western art uh, uh, where labor is not recognized as such. Uh, and um, so whatever artists do or art workers do is, is called creativity. Uh, and so this invisibility of labor in the arts Arts um, uh, is also um, um, uh, is is what what, it, what what yeah let's say that's the paradox of art uh, mm -hmm. and um, um, or I could say that the paradox of art is also this ubiquitous understanding of art as non labor uh, and. Um, 
Um, and this is present on all sorts of levels, I would say. So in my book, uh, in the beginning, I point out to the dictionary of English language where you can go and check the definition of work of art and um, the definition would uh, not mention the actual labor, right? It would mention the object and so on and so forth and its effect, but not the, the, the person or the activity that actually produces this great object that we enjoy so much. And so um, uh, this exclusion of, of work from art is, I think, the paradox. And from this exclusion of work from art stems a lot of other issues, uh, precarious working conditions, uh, right? Uh, so all sorts of uh, um let's say, uh, flexible, atypical, devalued and unprotected forms of labor that are so specific for contemporary art, uh, and but are also specific for, for art in general, historically. And so um, the, uh, the, the issue or why this is paradoxical is because art is perceived as something great, as something that is beneficial to the society, something that is, uh, you know, uh, prompts important critical conversations and so on and so on. But while it does that, uh, we really often neglect the conditions in which this production takes place. And that's that's paradoxical to me. Um, and that's why I'm digging into this paradox and I return to it nonstop. Um, and, uh, and then when um, the Yugoslavia, uh, the case of Yugoslavia is important because Mm -hmm. Yugoslavia, in fact, recognized art as labor initially, and uh, but it also um, uh, recuperated Western bourgeois aesthetic and philosophical traditions, uh, and mm -hmm. also produced this mystification of art as realm of freedom, uh, individuality, and so on. And that's why Yugoslavia is such a great case, because we can see how the visibility of labor that was specific for, let's say, the first 20 uh, years of uh, socialist Yugoslavia's existence, how this labor that was visible, protected, um, and paid uh, turned into what I call our term invisible labor. Uh, and this was, as I said, uh, because of the recuperation of Western uh, aesthetic and philosophical traditions, but also because of the geopolitical economic pressures that uh, impacted the development of Yugoslav socialism or self-management, Yugoslav self-management, which was the particular type of socialism that uh, we had in socialist Yugoslavia. And so... Um, in that sense, uh, Yugoslavia becomes really interesting and uh, these transformations of how labor was understood uh, because it shows that the mystification of artistic labor, so mystif by mystification I mean the fact that art is not recognized or unseen or it's called creativity but not work, uh, so that this mystification of art actually can take in different socio-political or political economic uh, uh, um, political and social systems, right? So uh, in capitalism, in uh, existing socialist societies, this mystification was present. And 
this is then points us to a deeper problem, which is Western art, right? So there is an exploitative ethos that is inscribed in Western institution of art. And I think that when we look at it uh, from the history of what happened with labor uh, of artists in Yugoslavia and how it was transformed, uh, it re- this paradox becomes really visible and you can also untangle it uh, uh, from from the labor point of view. Um, um, it is uh, interesting, uh, the Yugoslav case is uh, interesting because um, um, the country itself also was dedicated to somehow to emancipate human labor. Uh, and there were a lot of policies which protected the workers, which respected the work and so on. There were a lot of labor rights and these labor rights also pertain to artists, but they deteriorated, as I explained in the book. And, and how and why this happened and to what extent these Western traditions and understanding of art played into this uh, is really, I think, important for us today because these traditions are still much alive and very much present and they cause the same kind of issues here i would say particularly the concept of autonomy of art the concept of genius artists and so on and so on despite of course numerous uh, uh, attempts of artists uh, to dismantle these uh, subjects and um, categories yeah, absolutely. I, I really um, like that point that, you know, we all enjoy art and the general public enjoys art, but there's often very little consideration uh, about what happens for that to uh, evolve and that creativity to, to uh, be shaped in the way that we see it. Um, and I, I uh, think in your book, you also note that both labor were labor was very important in the Yugoslav context, but so was culture. And so it makes sense that uh, art and creative production was was taken seriously from this labor perspective uh, at that point. Um, but let us go back before Yugoslavia in early um, or before socialist Yugoslavia. Um, of course, the question of labor intersection between labor and art has, as as you note, uh, been of interest to artists. Um, and your work really opens with a consideration of historical avant-garde um, and its impact on um, shifting our understanding of art as labor. Um, can you tell us how the avant-garde experience influenced the way that this economy of art has been understood? Yeah, so it's quite complicated, the, the connection, but um, I think uh, the question of how avant-garde or historical avant-garde is important for, for, the, for the discussion of the paradox of art and unpaid labor and so on is uh, first the question of how we define the avant-garde. So in my book, um, um, I, um, uh, I rely on the definition and I aim, in fact, to revive the important work of Peter Burger, uh, who was a German scholar and who wrote an important book, The Theory of the Avant-Garde. And he was the, let's say, the key theorist who explained that uh, avant-garde uh, or the historical avant-garde movements questioned the institution of art. So, um, and um, um, Mm, and that, in fact, the, the avant-garde movements, uh, the way, as he defines it, they lay bare um, the ideologies of autonomy uh, as this um, normative or central ideology of Western art in bourgeois societies, and that the attack of these historical avant-garde movements pertain to this central, let's say, 
um, aspects of, of, of Western art, which is the creative genius artist or author, um, the work of art, and, and of course, this autonomy. And so um, um, the, the important thing here is, right, that avant-garde is then not understood as a variation in style, which, let's say, if we would take, uh, for example, Joyce and the way Ulysses, or the, at least the last chapter, unpunctuated, right, which completely breaks with the, I mean, just giving the obvious, uh, obvious example, how it breaks with the norm of writing sentences with punctuation, uh, uh, how that breaks something that in the arts. So that is not avant-garde, uh, according to Peter Berger, uh, because this is then understood as a stylistic transformation. What Peter Berger talks about and what I think is important when for the avant-garde as is useful for me and what I want to talk about is that avant-garde attacks the institution of art, right? So it shows that art is a social institution, that it has a history, that it has a very specific ideology um, that uh, enables it. And this um, autonomy of art is the, uh, the dimension, right? Or um, is uh, uh, that important ideology of Western art, which uh, presumably separates art from life, and in extension also separates art from economic processes, right? So art uh, is understood as something that is uh, as an autonomous sphere, uh, very often, uh, you know, is not connected to the question of money, economy, and so on and so on, even though the reality, of course, constantly breaks this image. Um, and so... Um, uh, the, the reason why this understanding of the avant-garde and historical avant-garde and what they did uh, is important not because only they um, they attack this autonomy which divorces art and life, uh, but it also hides this uh, economy of art, right? And this economy of art is based in labor exploitation, which is most visible in unpaid or underpaid. Uh, uh, labor in the arts or and precarious working conditions. So um, when we understand and when we take and try to revive the understanding of the avant-garde uh, practices as those that uh, break with this uh, bourgeois institution of art and its three central pillars, which are the genius artist, the work of art and autonomy, uh, it means that we also want to break that we that we can rely on this attack as a break from the productive apparatus of, of Western art. So of the, the relations of productions which establish this uh, institution uh, and that is so rely that so much relies on exploitation of labor. And that's why I think what the avant-garde practices did by questioning this institution, even though, as I explained in the book, they didn't go far enough, and also Peter Berger in his very important theory also neglected this aspect, uh, but it helps us understand that when we want to talk about labor in the arts as something that is not recognized, not seen, not theorized, not really discussed, 
in terms of exploitation, uh, avant-garde becomes important and an important anchor uh, to, to, to launch this uh, attack or to criticize the, the institution that is Western art, which, of course, is not only problematic now for the, for the exploitative labor practice. There are many other problems with its imperial uh, ideologies and so on and so forth, uh, um, gender inequality and so on. So, but you know, my shtick is labor. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I do appreciate the point that um, you often see raised that avant-garde you know, were not successful in many regards. They were not, uh, they were utopian, but they did, you know, indeed provide us with a framework and a vocabulary um, and an insight into these problems that that really continues to to be rel- rel- relevant for us today and um, uh, throughout the 20th century, really. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think that uh, the, 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 I also try to explain in the book, right, that um, um, uh, the way avant-garde is understood is part of the problem, is part of the problem <laughs> of why labor is unrecognized. Because if we understand avant-garde, uh, as something that is just a transformation in style, which is part of the modernist ethos, then we have a problem because then we neglect precisely the institutional questioning that 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 was so important, and that is neglected because this then just helps us to maintain the status quo in 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 the arts. You know that then we can question what is the artwork, uh, uh, we can question who and what is the author, and so on and so forth. But the institution with its you know, relations of production that are based in exploitation remain unchanged. And, and that is something that, that is still a problem. And that's why I think these historical um, mm. um, theories, you know, they are old, but they are very important because they are so uh, neglected, I think. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. Um, we, uh, over the course past decades, I think, got used to the fact that avant-garde is something that we see in, in museums and galleries, uh, and it's really important to shift the focus back into its politics and its uh, kind of social um, agenda as well. Um, now, in addition to your interest in avant-garde and bringing avant-garde history into this uh, discussion, you also use feminist uh, and Marxist theory, um, and they provide kind of an important critical lens to your study. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you use these theoretical frameworks to examine artistic labor in your work? Yeah, so um, the, the, the Marxist feminists are important for what I'm trying to discuss um, because of their well-known critique of invisibility of domestic or housework, domestic labor, housework. Uh, and their critique is so important because what they demonstrated uh, um, is that um, the invisibility of domestic work relies on uh, on the idea that this work is um, somehow natural, that it's that is part of the female physique, that women are uh, naturally inclined to do care work, housework, domestic labor, right? So they, this essentialization of work uh, is uh, something that they reveal as absolutely culturally constructed, but not only that, that because of this essentialization, this work is can then be exploited economically, it can be culturally undervalued, and so on and, and so forth. 
So this critique of, of, of invisibility of, of domestic work as work was something that immediately rang the bell when I was like, this is exactly the same as in art because art is also not seen as labor. Art is also mystified, but of course with an important difference uh, that it is glorified in, in a way, right? Creativity is something extremely positive. So this essentialization in the arts is positive. It's, uh, it's something that very often is the only reward that artists get is that they are admired as mm. extremely creative people, individuals, and so on and so forth. And so this essentialization, which is positive, uh, is but exactly the haze is the same mechanism that the essentialization for domestic work and which enables economic exploitation. Uh, and so for me, this theory of Marxist feminists and, and, and in general Marx work and Marx uh, understanding of labor and how it changed, how the labor changes in capitalist mode of production became important for me to really try to un, un, untangle the paradox of art and why artists are not being paid. And so I think that uh, the, the feminist critique is important in that sense and not not only just the, the what is similar or what we can compare and how this comparison can be striking, but also really the difference, right, that the essentialization in terms of art is positive and in terms of female labor or domestic uh, work it's negative uh, it's oppressive but with art if you are considered to be cre- if you are considered creative it's something very positive but nevertheless the, the, the nevertheless the effects are uh, similar yeah and no, it's a really good point both in terms of uh, marxist um, view of labor Yeah, but absolutely this idea of, um, uh, I think you call it in your book, housewifeization of art labor. Yeah, this is not my term, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, Maria Mies, but that's how she, yeah, that's the concept of housewifeization or housewifed labor, yeah, as this, uh, the term that describes flexible, atypical, devalued, and so on, um, forms of, unprotected forms of labor, Uh, because that's what that's what happens in, in a way, and so and people are often appalled by the comparison. But the reason why I'm bringing it up, or why I'm making it, and also one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I really think that um, until we try to really, um, you know. Um, Uh, see art also as as a site of exploitation. Um, we it is going to be very hard to change the way art is funded, the way art is paid, the way art is produced, the way art is accessible, and to whom it is accessible. So it's not only um, a, a simply a philosophical, a sociological, um, let's say. Uh, um, treaties but it is it has it has it aims at changing things it's changing the conversation and really trying to see what can be done differently mm, yeah absolutely um now i'm interested the primary focus of your study is um, the history of institutionalized art in the former yugoslavia so socialist yugoslavia from the second end of second world war until um, the dissolution of the country in the uh, early 1990s um, and i was wondering if you can tell us about the sources that you used, um, how you structure the study in terms of uh, chronology, and um, how does this approach to art as, as labor evolve through the span of socialist Yugoslavia? Yeah, so um, 
um, yeah, the the, the the Yugoslav case is the, the stepping stone, right, to explicate this paradox. And so um, what happened in Yugoslavia is interesting because the, also the way Yugoslav socialism is understood as self-managed socialism as this uh, socio-economic or political definition of what type of socialism Yugoslav socialism was? It it is also not homogeneous, so it's it's changed, right? In its forty five years of existence, the the uh, the economic. Um, uh, uh, the economic uh, tendencies also changed in Yugoslavia itself, and so this also impacted um, the 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 way art and artistic labor was understood. Um, and so um, the the most important and the most I think uh, interesting aspect uh, perhaps is the beginning, uh, the first I would say less than ten years where art becomes instituted as a form of work or labor. Uh, We have numerous uh, laws, decrees and such, which institute minimum payment, which uh, institute social security for artists, uh, which which enable artists to become also employees and so on and so on. And so um, this is the, like, let's say, the the beginning of where art is treated as labor, Um, art workers are understood as important pillars of this new socialist society that is being built and so on. And um, and that then gets um, expanded uh, uh, from 1954 to 1974. So this is a longer period, uh, or I call uh, that I call the the, the 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 period where the the limits of art as work were tested in a way in Yugoslavia. So it's very dynamic period because in a, the the protection uh, of uh, art workers gets it's expanded. Um, we see it in many and all in all republics in different forms and formats. Uh, and um, but uh, all these uh, um, ideas of art as labor then also are slowly being undermined by this, uh, which uh, that I already talked about in the beginning, the Western tradition and Western understanding, Western bourgeois understanding of art and its autonomy. So these ideas of art being uh, a realm of freedom, autonomy, and so on, were in a way uh, clashing with the ideas of art as labor, as work. And this became then very complicated and very complex, but it uh, still protected the art workers. Art workers had uh, extremely good uh, conditions uh, for, for work because the, they, they had access to funding, they were protected, uh, they did get paid. Um, but, um, of course, uh, there were also problems because um, 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 uh, the, um, the, the, econ- the Yugoslav economy was also in uh, had had problems internal, but mostly these problems with with the, with the economy in Yugoslavia were very much linked to its geopolitical uh, position, right? Because Yugoslavia was with, between the 
uh, West and the East. And all the crises that were happening uh, in, especially in the West, also impacted uh, the uh, Yugoslav economy and the way uh, it could or and couldn't develop its self-managed socialism and ideas of self-management. And this is too complex now to go into detail. So I write about this in the book. But that is that is this interesting period, the second period, where this expansion took place, but where we can already see the problems that are caused by economic changes and transformations, by also, but also with um, Western influences about uh, art, autonomy, and so on and so on. And so these then then we come to the third and the last period where. Um, from 1974 to 1991, until the breakup of Yugoslavia, uh, that I call the unmaking of art workers or disenfranchisement of art workers, um, because under certain new laws, uh, art workers become redefined as socialist entrepreneurs. And while we still have some kind of social protection and security present at that time, it slowly becomes way thinner and the, the, the question of art as being creative labor, special type of labor, that labor that need, can be protected, paid and so on based on merit becomes more important. And this is, this is the final then nail in the coffin of art as uh, labor. Uh, and so these this would be in very broad, very schematic strokes, the three central periods. Mm. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. And so how it um, slowly kind of moves from one concept to to other over over the course of the life of, of, of Yugoslavia and slowly kind of makes itself, as as you note. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to add one more thing. that um, Because you also asked me about the sources. So what I'm trying to do, because I am a sociologist, even though um, I also use uh, art theory and so on when I write, um, is that the book is not so much about the content of these artworks. Uh, I don't really write about uh, artists, the artworks, and their political ideas that they expressed in these artworks. Much more I'm interested in the, the working conditions, right? So I look at labor legislation. I look through the archives to see the discussions about this legislation, if it was present and not, and so on. And I also then look at those artists and those uh, groups who have actually addressed the working conditions. So, and these are not many, uh, even in socialist Yugoslavia. And those that have dealt with this that I have found, um, I've read about in the book. So one of them is Goran Djordjevic, and the other example is the working community of artists, Podrum. And so these are, so I'm really interested in, in this, the invisible side of art in a way, right? I'm not interested in what the art were doing in their uh, practice as such, but uh, what were the conditions for this practice and why was um, 
labor understood as labor or not and what kind of issues came out of that. Yeah, uh, one of the artists you've just mentioned, um, Goran Djordjevic, you um, talk a, a little bit in your book about one of his projects. Um, so in 1979, he decided to call um, the International Strike of Artists. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that project and how that um, evolved? Yeah, well, so um, as I said, this this come this goes into this really interesting period uh, um, where um, artists, in a way, um, started to understand that they um, that there is an issue, right? So especially the artists, the newer generations of artists um, had an issue because. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the lack of funding was already present. There was more and more educated young people who had access to free um, education and so on. But uh, the question of how and will they, they will make their livelihood became an issue. And in the arts, that became very apparent, especially then in mid-70s and then in the 80s. But... Um, what was more interesting in the arts was that artists also understood art as this um, place for rebellion, for uh, you know social critique, and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, of all for all the social critique that they were capable of mastering and that they produced, they Georgievich was one and the only one who really talked about the problem of the artists and how the artists get exploited in the system of art and not only in the Western system of art, but also in the socialist Yugoslav system of art. And so he, um, for instance, be, uh, I think that this was before he organized the strike. Uh, he actually was invited to participate at the Belgrade Trian- Triennial of Arts and they invited him to exhibit his work and he wrote them and he said, what is the budget of the exhibition? The, who is organizing it? Why we artists don't have a say in how our work is presented and so on and so on. Of course, he never got the answer. And then out of that, he also saw that, um, and he called artist a pseudo-subject. He said that artist is the pseudo-subject of the art system because, in fact, the entire system relies on somebody called artist who is so creative and produces this fantastic, great artwork. But then everyone else gets paid because there is funding and there is money for the arts. But the artist gets, if they get anything, they get very peanuts if they get anything. And so that's why he then said, okay, let's call for for uh, for the international strike of artists as, you know, as a rebellion to this exploitative system, which treats us in a way as these pseudo-subjects. And let's see, you know, if we can... Uh, attack the system and and of course the the results were were interesting it was kind of like he was measuring the temperature uh, of to what extent are artists themselves willing to question this exploitative system because many of them are, were not right so when you look and um, and the responses they were very interesting some of them said of course we support the strike we want a strike let us know when and how and so on and so on but a lot of them send this kind of let's say mellow kind of smart responses saying yeah well I can't afford to strike uh, and so on and so on and and that becomes very interesting and and to me you we can still see this attitude today because um, um, the question becomes 
when do you when do you want to call spades spades and when do you want to question the system or do you are you part of the reproducing this same system and i think that uh, of course georgievich then concluded after he got uh, some i don't know a couple um, dozen uh, of responses that the strike ain't going to happen uh, but uh, that the it it is utopian in a way because uh, this is me not georgievich i think sometimes the people are part of the problem the people meaning the artists themselves which do not they don't want to question the system so um, it, that's that's why this action i think is interesting because it's kind of measures the temperature can we uh, organize a strike can we rebel against exploitation or we cannot and yeah. all the sophisticated reasoning behind why not yeah, absolutely. That's a, it's a good point. And um, in, in your book, you include a number of these responses that uh, Jorjevic received from artists from um, all, all over the world. And I think readers will uh, really enjoy reading some of those responses. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, another thing that I'm interested in is that uh, when we talk about Soviet Union and, and Eastern Europe uh, during the socialist era, uh, and we talk about artistic production, we often come across this concept of unofficial or non-conformist art um, that existed in parallel to official art. Now, we know that um, art and culture in general were very important in socialist Yugoslavia, but I'm interested in whether this similar phenomenon, this split um, within the art world existed in, in Yugoslavia as well. Well, uh, uh, I argue in the book that no, that and that this is not just my argument. I actually also call upon uh, other scholars who have claimed that while uh, that such official unofficial art is not really a sustainable view, it is. Um, it is very present, I would say, also in art historical discourses and aesthetic discourses and culture and art in Yugoslavia. But the fact is that all art was publicly funded in Yugoslavia, all art. Uh, and if it was not funded, the, 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 the people and the artists and the cultural workers who created were part of this um, social network which enabled free healthcare, free education, and so on and so forth. So um, the, 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 the actual, uh, actual living conditions and situation in Yugoslavia was very, very different than in the West in that sense, in terms of how, how well the artists could be protected and so on and so on. But not just artists, people in general, right? The living standard in, in socialist Yugoslavia was uh, was extremely good to an extent. Of course, again, this I can't we can't generalize it, and it changed, and and things were there were many 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 problems as well. But in principle, this uh, the, the socialist welfare state, as I like to call it, was uh, established pretty good living conditions in comparison to what the territory, in what kind of conditions the people in these territories lived before World War II, and so um, the official, unofficial. Um, binary that for sure holds true for, for let's say, for USSR and so on, uh, is not really sustainable in Yugoslavia because artists often would work either in these, uh, uh, in these uh, let's say, institutions such as theaters and uh, museums and galleries which were um, uh, funded by the state, but they also could... Um, 
establish their own associations, their little groups, and those groups also got funding. Of course, it is important that this there was a big discrepancy in this funding the, mm, that existed, and out of this discrepancy, also um, a, a division in terms of what kind of economy um, was possible for one or other art project um, emerged. But in general, um, uh, these artists were really living in, in and working in many different uh, institutions, either do, working independently and then with an institution and so on and so forth. So there was a lot of crossover between what is usually known as uh, independent, or let's say institutional or non-institutional. And as a sociologist, I would say that the art that was that is perceived as non-institutional is also institutional. It was just a different type of institution. It was a network of of art and cultural associations, uh, and they were of different formats. These associations they were either connected also to the amateur groups. Uh, they were connected to like groups and associations of professional artists, uh, then also professional art groups and so on and so forth. But of course, like I said, there was a discrepancy in terms of funding and also in terms of what kind of art was produced uh, in, in, in the big institutions such as modern museums and so on and, and theaters and so on. And then in these um, other venues such as cultural centers uh, or student centers and so on. And again, there is a development to that. We can't just generalize it for for the entire 45 years. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's a good good uh, point again that uh, social Yugoslavia was really quite unique. It was neither this Western system nor really what we see in Soviet Union and, and, and Eastern Bloc. Um, and really great insight from the sociologist perspective that, you know, you get to see a little bit of that network uh, more broadly rather than, uh, and go beyond this, as you say, binary um, in this case. Uh, now, you in, in your in your book, you sort of start with, uh, uh, with the uh, establishment of Yugoslavia, and we see that um, artistic labor is regulated and protected, and over the course of the country's life, that slowly erodes, as you note in your book. I'm interested if you can tell us a little bit about um, the kind of very end, um, and how did the crisis and demise of Yugoslavia impact the labor of art? Yeah, so the this last, the final decade of, of socialist Yugoslavia was, I think, really traumatic in the sense that um, on one hand, the generations tried to reform the socialism that was existing, but the, by the ideologies or the values based on which they were trying to reform these were very um, liberal in the sense that they um, they they a were already they were the seeds of neoliberal policies. Uh, but they were also the seeds of individualism that became more and more important, the idea of freedom and so on and so forth. And all these really impacted also the actual policies uh, and um, and that's why um, there there was a great change, which looked great at the uh, like on the first look, you would say, 
oh, wow, they had a special law for independent art workers and they had a special law for independent artists. Wow, that's fantastic, right? Uh, so this means that uh, art is really respected, artwork is really respected. But the problem of these laws, which appeared especially towards the end of 70s and then in the 80s, uh, were that they redefined art workers, in fact. They claimed to guarantee them and to position them at the same same level as people who were employed in cultural institutions, but this was only on paper. These laws, in fact, never uh, effectively uh, um, equated uh, um, independent artists and an artist who was employed in an institution. And because the the, the burden of the independent cultural worker and the in, or an independent artist was that they had to take care of their social uh, uh, and healthcare the provision. Uh, but of course, in Yugoslavia, this was subsidized. And then after the breakup of Yugoslavia, these subsidies became even more erratic and more crazy. And the, the, the conditions under which you get subsidized are, you know, a whole uh, can of worms, I would say. Today, uh, even though they still, for some, maintain an important important policy because it still exists in Croatia and in Slovenia, these uh, vestiges of these laws still exist and still enable some uh, uh, art workers to get subsidized healthcare and um, social security. Uh, but it is based on merit and, and it is very problematic. And, and, and it sets the wrong tone as from my point of view because um, as an artist, you are a worker, and you need to get, you need to be protected, uh, and your protection can be based on merit. So, for instance, that this would be the same as if we would say that a, a teacher in a school or a doctor in a hospital is only getting paid and has healthcare and social security when they perform successfully. But if they don't, they don't. For instance, if half of if three students fail, they don't get paid, or they get paid less, or something idiotic like that. But that's how it works for art. Uh, for artists, definitely, if they are not recognized, uh, they they don't exist. Mm, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the, the 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 last decade is the one yeah. where this happened. But uh, what I try to explain in the book, perhaps I should add that is that. Um, on one hand, of course, there was an impact of neoliberal policies, of the pressure of the IMF, of other important financial international institutions that pressured Yugoslavia to uh, to accept, uh, how do you say, um, oh, I can't, uh, the austerity measures. Uh, but at the same time, this was then exacerbated by the internal critique in Yugoslavia and very problematic critique of the role of the state because a lot of these alternative groups uh, cultural and intellectual that existed were critical of the state. And what I, um, I make an argument in the book that the, the critique of the state was problematic in so far because it often was based on the, the critique of, of authoritative elements, but it forgot that the state welfare state also has these other functions and services that it enables uh, healthcare, education, and so on, and and that this part they neglected because they were unaware of the economic uh, 
relations that were so important because they lived, I would say, at least in Slovenia, which was one of the most, uh, the richest, let's say, republic uh, where unemployment hardly existed. In the mid-80s, it started. Uh, this means that the, the working conditions and the general prosperity of people was relatively good. This was not the case for the entire Yugoslavia, which is part of the problem. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, the, the critique of all these alternative groups uh, was misguided in that sense, and it contributed to, to, to what has happened afterwards. I find it interesting that in your book you know that Yugoslavia in many respects, and this, especially this kind of final decade and what happens uh, as, as the country disintegrates, was in a sense um, a canary in a coal mine for a lot of um, experiences that we are um, seeing today globally. Um, and I think in many respects that, that uh, your work is not just about socialist and post-socialist systems, but it really has a lot of resonance with the problems that we are seeing today in terms of precarity and invisible and um, unprotected labor. Um, I'm interested uh, to know whether there were any big surprises that you came across during your research, whether that's um, sources or any conclusions uh, that you came to while writing your book. Well, I think that the most surprising thing for me was when I discovered that they had a decree on minimum payment for artwork from 1946 that to me was just astounding i was like the country was in reconstruction demolished by world war ii i mean and they had the the priority in 1946 among other important things that they've uh, instituted was the minimum fees for for various uh, artistic uh, various forms of artistic labor that to me was shocking uh, and uh, and but also important. It really tells you that that art was part of the deal, part of the 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 the, the new the building of the new society, and that they took this very seriously. And to me, that that was really <laughs> I think that that was very surprising. Yeah, that's um, a great that's yeah. a great example. It does really show it, um, just how uh, cent- central culture was in establishing these new societies at this point in yeah, time. Yeah, and and also really, I think that um, it's often neglected uh, to, to what an amazing and what um, really uh, elaborate cultural infrastructure appeared during socialism in Yugoslavia. Like there's, I think I even cited in the book, how many new like cultural um, centers or they, they were called kulturni dom, um, so cultural homes were built uh, and other institutions appeared and academies and so on. And it's really, it's really uh, astounding, but not just these big institutions that we all associate when we say the word art, but there was also this really important network of cultural associations of various types that I think also enabled people to engage in the arts, but not not just to go see art, right? So this was not just a question of accessibility to go see, to be able to go to a museum or gallery or theater or something, but it was also the the possibility of really doing artwork. And a lot of, uh, as we know today, 
from scholarship about film, for instance, how much of, let's say, very important filmmakers in socialist Yugoslavia came out of so-called kino clubs, which were, uh, you know, part of this uh, cultural network uh, where people could go and experiment with, with film equipment. And, and learn about film. Not then, so they don't, didn't necessarily have to go to the academy, uh, for film and so on, but they could, there were other ways of how you could, uh, um, how you could actually experience art practice and were, uh, encouraged to do so. Yeah, really interesting. Um, Kanye, I think we've taken, um, quite a bit of your time. So I want to thank you for talking to us to us about your book. And I'm interesting, interested to know what you are working on at the moment. Well, so um, I currently am mostly working on trying to see, um, let's say, real life or uh, possible implementations of, 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 of some of the conclusions that were brought that I that I'm writing about in the book. So what are actual um, strategies and possibilities of, of, of building some kind of uh, resistance within the uh, contemporary um, art production uh, uh, of trying to see, what are concrete examples today of people demanding uh, fair conditions for work and for payment? And I have to report, and it makes me happy all the time, and every time I discover it, that there are quite a number of initiatives today which deal and are quite successfully dealing with payment of for artistic work. Uh, and that um, that's, I think, of course, it was the epidemic which uh, uh, I think uh, also made made it more obvious how problematic it is that art is not considered labor and that is not paid and so on. Uh, but even before that, um, the, in the last, I would say, last five, past five years, there has been an increase uh, of awareness that uh, it is strategically and politically important to talk about art as a form of labor and artists as workers. And so my current work is really dedicated and oriented towards this contemporary situation and trying to see um, to what extent um, you know, um, coming and working now in academia, and, but of course I do work in an arts management program, how um, to build and how to foster and encourage these kind of fair labor practices and, and build awareness of, 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 you know, the production side of art that needs to be fair, not, you know, not in, just in terms of accessibility of people that can and that should and have access to art, but also that the actual people, professionals, who create these contents uh, have fair and better working conditions. Yeah, fantastic. And I think um, if, if, you know, a pandemic has showed us uh, anything, it, that has certainly been the case that um, art is such an important p- part of our life and, and that we really relied on various forms of artistic production to, to get us through the various lockdowns and, and other um, challenges of the pandemic. So, yeah, that sounds like a, a really terrific project, and I wish you uh, best of luck with that. And I want to thank you for being on the show today. I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, um, I hope our listeners we, uh, will enjoy the, our talk and, and the book as well. Thank you again, Katya. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation and your point about the art 
and for the pandemic that this is where I always say, so if you looked, watched a lot of art, then also consider the people who produce that. It's very important. So, yeah. But thank you again for the invitation and for the opportunity to talk about my work. Thank you very much, Katya.